This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. God and government today. And I'm going to finish it two weeks from today. And, you know, I got to talking to, um, I was talking to my dad recently, and I told him, I said, you know, I think we really need to start talking about some of the practical current affairs and things that are going on in the world today because the, the church is confused. We see it. I mean, just, just look online, look at social media. The church is all over the place when it comes to the issues in the world today. Isn't it true? And just what really bothers me is when we as a church get arguing and bickering between ourselves over these matters. And we're doing everything, and, and we're arguing over our own, we're arguing over our convictions. We're not even going to see what God's word says. And it's causing all this division. So we need to talk about what God's word says. And, and really, two weeks isn't nearly enough to talk about government. And let me just say from the get-go, uh, I, I am not an expert on government. You'd need to talk to my brother on that. And we avoid talking about that between... <laughs> yeah. Should have seen the fight that almost broke out between he and my granddad at Thanksgiving. Woo! Jesus, help us all. So, so uh, awkward. Wow. So, uh, anyway, and sorry if y'all are watching. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, so I'm going to talk just a little bit about God and government. Because this year is, it's an election year? What? Yeah, it's certainly an election year. I think it's been an election two years. How crazy. It is an election year, and there are lots of opinions, and there is lots of division. And I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I really felt this on, I don't know, Sunday or Monday. I, I really felt like this is what I need to talk about. And so I, I was like, well, you know, Lord, I am not an expert in government. I, I have plenty of my own opinions. But I'm not, so I ended up um, going, and I, I read a book I'd been meaning to read for a while, and it's uh, by uh, Dr. Tony Evans called... Uh, called How Should Christians Vote? And I actually, I, I put a thing up there. Any of you familiar with Dr. Tony Evans? Is there a slide with that? I believe there was. Yes. No, there was. It's all right. There it is. Uh, if, I encourage you guys to um, pick up that book if you have questions. If, if, you're, if you find yourself as a Christian looking at this whole thing, uh, especially the whole election process and and, and your views on government and everything else, and, and you're wondering, you know, what does God have to say? I encourage you to, uh, to pick up that book. It's, on, I mean, it's available for the Kindle for like four bucks or something. It's, it's uh, pretty awesome. But I, I went through that book, um, I think I finished it on Tuesday, and it did kind of change my views a little bit. And so um, anyway, I do encourage you to read that. But Christians today are asking, you know, when it comes to government, um, what, is my, what is my role? What is my responsibility? Who should I vote for? Who does God want in office? And um, we have all kinds of different ideas as to what the answers are to that. But, you know, when we talk about how to find the answer to a question, there's really only one place a believer should go. And that's to God's Word. Instead, unfortunately, we turn to Facebook or our family friend who's a political expert, or another work friend who's a conspiracy theorist, or the nightly news, but God's word is where we're supposed to turn to every, for everything, right? So, I mean, 
If we're having marriage problems, where do we turn? God's Word. If we're having financial issues, where do we turn? God's Word. If we're having issues with our children, we go to God's Word. If we're having issues within the church, we go to God's Word. And so, you know, we look at that, and, we, you know, I, I question why is it that that's our answer? Of course, we're supposed to go to God's Word, but most of us, we've never prayed about the election process. We've never prayed for our governing officials. We've never prayed about government. We've never gone in and studied what does God's Word say? What is my place? What is my position? We turn to everybody else, right? Tony Evans, a statement he made I want to read to you. It says, when it comes to politics and elections, far too many Christians spend more time appealing to family, history and tradition, culture, racial expediency, and personal preference than they do what the Bible teaches. While Scripture is good enough for individuals, families, and churches, it seems that somehow it's been deemed insufficient for how we respond to politics and government. You know, we would say that the Bible can save, it can heal, it can deliver, it can redeem, right? It can save a marriage. We would even say it can transform a nation. But how many of us have ever really sought to seek God, to see the United States of America, to see the government of the United States of America transformed? So my question is that I'm going to answer today. I'm actually going to talk more next time about, about voting. I'm going to talk today about what is God's position in regards to government. Because as believers, shouldn't that be the biggest thing that matters? What is God's position? Because our position should be God's position, right? So what is God's position in regards to government? That's where we're going to start. If you look in your service guide, you should have a note sheet made up there. And uh, you can follow along, follow along on the screen, or you can follow along on the, um, on the Bible app on your um, mobile devices. We're going to start in uh, Romans chapter 13, and, and you know, this is a very familiar scripture, but I want us to break it down for just a minute. And in the New King James Version, Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Let me give you the New Living real quick. The New Living translation says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. I'm going to give you a few points here as we go through. So point number one, what is God's position? Number one, God's in charge. God's in charge. Really, that's the end of the story. God's position on government is he's the head. He's it. He is in the highest governing position. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He's the president of all presidents. Prime minister of all prime ministers. True? He is in charge. Is there anybody else out there? I mean, our, our governing officials seem to think that they can do all kinds of things. They make all kinds of promises anyway. Is there anybody else that can move the sun and the moon and the stars? I don't think anybody else has that authority. I think there's just one. Now, does this mean that people filling government positions, does this mean that they're serving God or even necessarily fulfilling his will? Not at all. Many are not. Maybe we could even say most are not serving God or, or fulfilling his will. 
But the point is, the government is created, it is decreed, and it is established by God. This is why, this is why we cannot remove God from government involvement. We can't do it. It's impossible. Our land, our laws, our government is based on this belief system. This is why we have to seek God when it comes to our involvement in politics. Now, the Bible repeatedly tells us that God is sovereign. Y'all know what sovereign means? Sovereign basically means <laughs> sovereign basically means that God is accountable to no one. Right? There is no one in a position over him. No one's going to trump what he says. Boy, that is not a play on words. Holy smokes. No one is going to. No one is going to strike down one of his commands. Nobody's going to look at one of his laws and say, um, that's old-fashioned, we're going to strike that one out of the books, right? He is accountable to no one because he's in charge. He's sovereign, right? All things are either created by him or allowed by him. He's in charge, right? So, I know that's a difficult statement, especially in the world today, that all things are created by him or allowed by him, because then the next question, essentially, the world asks is, then why do bad things happen? Because we as humanity can be so stupid. <laughs> True? Humanity, God gave us free will, and I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at jacking things up. I can do it without even thinking about it. Humanity can be so selfish and can even be so evil, as we've seen even this morning. Why is humanity, why does humanity jack things up? Why can we be so selfish? Why can humanity be evil? Because we've chosen to exclude God. That's the reason. Another statement Tony Evans made I thought was awesome. He said, problems arise when people adopt the institution of government but dismiss the divine ruler over the government. People want the God bless America today. They just don't want the one nation under God today. The issue is that you can't have one without the other. God has given us the freedom to choose whether or not we will be one nation under him, whether we will recognize his rule and operate underneath it. But with that choice, either comes the God bless America or not. God only promises to bless the nation that recognizes his authority in Psalm 33, 12. Freedom means you get to control the choice, but because God is sovereign ruler over his creation, you don't get to control the consequences. He will rule by either endorsing your choice or he will rule by allowing you to have the consequences of a decision made against him. Does that make sense? So for instance... You know, I don't know where you stand, but my belief is that if, in, if, as a Christian, to justify abortion, you have to totally twist Scripture. I believe that's where the church should stand as a whole. Now, we live in a nation that legalized it, right? Now, to me, looking at Scripture, abortion is totally contrary to God's will. It's contrary to his word. 
and there are consequences for it. The Bible tells us in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for, the, for in the image of God he made man. Proverbs 6, 17 says God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Deuteronomy 27, 25 said God curses the one who takes reward to slay an innocent person. Isaiah 49, 1 says the Lord called me from the womb, from the, from the body of my mother, he named me. So according to this, our government, who was founded on the principles of God's word, legalized the shedding of innocent blood. And there's consequences. There is a price to pay when we go against what God's word says. And we see that price, we see those consequences in our culture today. Because we have chosen to be selfish and to devalue human life, guess what? The violence is going to continue. And there will be loss of life. Because this is an area that God can't bless. We've chosen to devalue human life. And don't we see the results of that all around us? It's simply consequences. I don't believe that God is coming and going, I'm judging America because of abortion. I, I, I don't believe that. God's saying you made your choice. And he has to withdraw his blessing from that. And suddenly we see human life being devalued like crazy. And we see the results coming forth in things like violence. People who feel they have no worth, no value whatsoever. Another example I was thinking of you know, the founding fathers, they worked hard to found this nation on the principles of God's word. But you know what? Many of them were slave owners. Guess what? We're still suffering some of the consequences of that today, aren't we? God bless America comes with being one nation under God. God is in charge, and we choose to ignore what he says we will suffer the consequences of it as a nation. It's just simply cause and effect. Everybody understand? It's quiet, man. It's quiet. Keep in mind, though, that God's sovereignty, since he is accountable to no one, he also has the ability to use that, those things that are not cooperating with him, to use those to work all things together for the good. Amen? That's why we can see, as a result of bad choices and things, we can see bad things happen in our life, but as our heart is turned toward him, we can see him work in our life, and we can see him work even bad things together for the good of those who love him, right? As Christians, we can't discuss government without discussing God. That's because, number two, government is, div is a divinely ordained institution. Government is a divinely ordained institution. Now, biblically, if you look at it, there are four realms of government which really the Bible discusses. And I believe I have those in your notes. So, um, and, and here's the reality. If, if one of these forms of government is out of line, it can knock them all out of balance. Does that make sense? So the first form of government that the Bible talks about is individual government. Well, that has to do with how we handle ourselves, Right? We have responsibilities according to God's word. We have responsibilities as children of the king. So it's up to us to govern our lives, right? First and foremost, we govern our lives before God. 
We govern ourselves according to God's principles. The second realm of, of government the Bible mentions is family government. The Bible talks about Christ as the head. It talks about the, the man and the woman as one in submission to one another. Parents being head of the children, raising them in the ways of the Lord. That's the family government, right? The third area is church government. Again, who's the head? Christ is the head. And then you've got the church leaders appointed by God to govern church matters. But in reality, you realize the church, one of the um, things that God had for the church to do was to be a moral compass to the government of the land. That's what we are supposed to be. Each of us, as the body of Christ, as the church, we're supposed to be the moral compass of this nation, right? That's why things are so difficult right now because there's so much confusion within the church. The church is so divided on all the issues that are out there. They're getting caught up in the arguing and the bickering on the small matters of this and this instead of standing up in one voice for what God says. And then the last part of area of government is civil government. And God set the civil government in place to, to set an atmosphere, create a, an atmosphere that maintains, um, that maintains righteousness, to, to create a, a just environment where freedom can be expressed, where freedom can flourish. And understanding that civil government was not created to replace individual government or family government or church government. Unfortunately, we're seeing that line grade today. Can you see that? The civil government's getting a little too involved in areas that the government doesn't need to be involved in. And most of us have seen that. We have a problem with the government, and our problem is when it oversteps its bounds. Another quote here, Tony Evans said, he said, when government tries to act as someone's parent or pay someone's bills when they don't work, the government has become more than the government was designed to be. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. It's not talking about when a man cannot work. It's talking about when a man won't work. If a man does not work, you don't offer him a welfare check to pay him for his irresponsibility. You don't look for the government to pay for laziness while taxing others to cover the bill. Someone who won't work? I, I, I don't know if y'all saw last year, they, uh, one of the major news stations covered this guy who decided that um, it was so easy to get welfare, he decided he was just going to live out of his car and he was going to surf. And so he's living in California, and that's what he does. And he gets enough each month that he's able to go and eat a fast food meal each day, three meals a day, and he surfs all day long and lives out of his car. Woo! Yeah! Surfer dude. <laughs> right? Someone not working is not the government's problem. Someone who, who chooses not to work and chooses to rely on others. That's actually should go back to, number one, individual government, right? They're not governing their own life correctly. But what should happen? What should happen with that person? Should the government get involved and pay for that surfer's bills? No. Firstly, hopefully he's at the place where he examines his own life, but obviously he's not. So what happens then? Well, hopefully then family government gets involved. Hopefully the family gathers around and gives them a swift kick in the rear end and says, you need to get up off your backside, and you need to take care of some responsibilities. You need to be a man, right? The Bible talks about what happens when, you know, beyond that, really, the church government should get involved beyond that. And, and so there's all kinds of different steps that should be taken before the civil government gets, in, in, that gets involved, but it's gotten all, out of, gotten all out of whack. And that's what we see today. 
So, as number two, government is a divinely ordained institution by God. And that's the way the Bible lays it out. Our, our individual government, the family government, the church government, and then the civil government. And then third thing I want to mention was Christians cannot separate church and state. And I, I mention this because separation of church and state has become this, you, you hear it all the time. You can't turn on the news without somebody saying something about the separation of church and state. That violates the separation of church and state. Y'all realize separation of church and state? You realize that's not in our Constitution? It's not there. But it's being used like, like it's a law. The separation of church and state was just a phrase that, that Thomas Jefferson, he, uh, he used. He was expressing the understanding, uh, an understanding of the intent and the, of the function and function of the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment. And what it actually says is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. What does that have to do with what they're talking about? Nothing. Nothing. He was actually, and when Thomas Jefferson said this, he was speaking before the Danbury Baptist Association. And they were kind of a minority at the time, as a religious minority. And so they had some questions about representation and some different things. And he was just basically saying that. And basically, when we, we, I guess we will continue to refer to this statement as a separation between church and state. But the separation of church and state was really meant to protect religion from the government, not protect government from religion. It didn't mean that, that, that our faith couldn't be pulled into politics. It meant that politics weren't going to, you know, going to dictate our faith. See how the enemy twists things? I, I remember even taking, I, I took, a, back in the day in school, I took Latin and Greek, uh, etymology and mythology and all this stuff. And I, I loved all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, part of the reason I loved that was, uh, those subjects was because it, had, it all took place during biblical times. And every time... One of us would try and mention, any, mention anything that happened in the Bible. We, we were shut down immediately. That can't be discussed. Separation of church and state. That was in 1993. And I thought, man, this was I, almost everything in the Bible, even people who don't believe in God and don't put their faith in God, know that the Bible is very historically accurate. The days and the, the times, the cities, the events, and everything else, it's, it's very accurate. Couldn't, couldn't be brought into it. That's not what this says. Not what it says at all. Obviously, it was also put in place so the government couldn't dictate what somebody believed or didn't believe. They, you know, they had come over from England and such where there was a state government. They didn't want to ever, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a state religion. And they didn't want to ever do that again. And that's, that wasn't biblical either. God never forces faith on us. True? So it was a godly thing that our forefathers, uh, founding fathers, were trying to do there. And actually, I went on, I was reading a little bit. The founder of the First Baptist Church in America, Roger Williams, um, had written in 1644 of the separation of church and state. He called it a hedge or wall of separation between the garden of church and the wilderness of the world, that no religious test should ever be required as a qualification for any office or public trust under the United States. Here's a reality. We're of a different kingdom. We're not of this kingdom. And with that in mind, everything that we do involving politics should be pointing to a kingdom agenda, not a United States agenda. Does that make sense? Every vote that we make, every decision that we make in reference to politics should be pointing to God's purpose and God's plan because we're not of this world. I want to read real quick from Joshua chapter 5. And you all know this story, but I'm, I'm going to read you verses 13 and 14 real quick. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. You all know they're about to take the city of Jericho, right? 
And he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, we know this was an angel. Actually, some, there's several different descriptions of who exactly it was. But we know that at least that this was an angel. This was, this was divine, right? Who are you for? Are you for us or for our adversaries? What was his response? No. No? What, what, do, you mean, what do you mean no? No. 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 As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. No. And you know what Joshua is thinking here. I mean, he's representing God's people, right? So if this is an angel, surely he's on my side. He says, no, I'm not on your side. He's saying, Joshua, I'm not here to further your agenda. I'm not here to further your plan and what you think needs to happen. He goes on and says, um, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face in the earth and worshiped him and says, what does my Lord say to his servant? That was the right question. Not are you on my side. It's what does the Lord say? He was asking the wrong question. How many times we try and pull the Lord in on our boat? God, bless my plan for the day. Well, really? What's, the, what's God's plan for your day? Right? God... Bless this new job that I'm applying for. Well, is that the job that God has for you or not? You know what I'm saying? We, we try and pull God into our plan and our agenda instead of seeking him and saying, God, what is your will? I'm following you. And that's what Joshua was doing right here. Another quote I want to read to you. God's kingdom includes all of these elements. He is an absolute ruler of his domain, which encompasses all of creation. His authority is total. Everything God rules, he runs, even when it doesn't look like he's running it. Even when life looks like it's out of control, God is running its out-of-controlness. At the heart of the kingdom agenda philosophy is the fact that there should never be a separation between the sacred and the secular. All of life is spiritual since all of life has come under God's rule. Therefore, every issue, whether social, political, economic, educational, environmental or, other, environmental or otherwise, is to mirror God's principles related to the specific area and thus reflect and promote His agenda in history. Does that make sense? We are not of this world, and we've got to watch whose agenda it is that we're promoting. Are you promoting the agenda of a political party? Many times we do that. Are we promoting the agenda of a certain group, promoting an agenda of our family, promoting the agenda even of our church? What is God's agenda? There's a story, a story told about a man who needed to get his shoe repaired. He rushed to a shoe repair shop only to arrive there at exactly 5 o'clock as it was closing. Scanning the parking lot, he noticed that it was empty, indicating that apparently there was no one around. Knowing that he wouldn't have another opportunity to go to the shop for some time, he headed to the door to see if by chance it was still open. To his surprise, the shoe repairman was still there. I didn't think anyone was here, the man said, relieved. Well, you came just in time, the shoe repairman said. I was almost ready to go home. Remembering the empty parking lot, the man said, how are you going to go home? I didn't see any cars. Oh, that's easy, the repairman said. Do you see those stairs over there? He pointed to the corner of the shop. The man looked and noticed the stairs. He nodded. I live up there, the shoe repairman said. I just work down here. That's us. We're from up there. We're just working right here right now. And we have that agenda to pursue, not this agenda. 
Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is of heaven. We are from a different kingdom. We're just working in this kingdom right now. Our instructions come from another place. We should always be seeking to bring that kingdom into alignment with this kingdom. We report, guys, we report to the top dog. True? We report to the top dog regardless of whether or not they recognize that he's still on the throne and in control. I'm going to read you one more passage here from Mark chapter 12. Y'all know this story too. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. Isn't that nice? You are impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. They were going to trap him one way or the other. They, they figured there's only two answers to this question. They only gave him two answers to give, right? Should we give to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Or should we not? Right? They were going to get him one way or the other. If he said, yes, we should pay taxes to Caesar, he was going to be in trouble with the Jews. If he said, no, he's going to be in trouble with Rome, right? Jesus gives them a totally, answer, totally different answer, which totally amazes them. He basically says, you know, the fact that you have a Roman coin to hand me showed that you're already submitted to that kingdom. True? And he's basically saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with paying taxes in the land in which you live. And you realize it's the same with us. I mean, anybody here just love paying taxes? If we expect government protection... If we expect to drive on the roads today, if we expect our kids to be able to have a public education, we've got to pay taxes, right? We pay for the services that are given to us. Taxes aren't a bad thing. Without them, we wouldn't have emergency services. We wouldn't have a military. We wouldn't have anything else. And realizing that God does command us to abide by the laws of our land. And in that first part of Romans chapter 13, verse 1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, Right? Most of the time, we just got to remember who's in charge, right? The top governing authority. You know, as I said earlier, <laughs> God's commands always trump the commands of this world. So, you know, it could be that, you know, if a law is passed that doesn't line up with God's law, what do we do? We respectfully refuse and we follow God, right? Because he's the one. And will we have to suffer the consequences of that? Sure we will. But God will have the final word. Amen? So my point, what is God's position when it comes to government? He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's a top dog. His word trumps all other. Secondly, Government is a divinely ordained institution. Does that tell us that maybe we should be praying? We should be praying for government? 
maybe we need to spend a little less time bad-mouthing government and speaking God's word over it and praying and interceding. And then lastly, understanding that as Christians we can't separate church and state. We have to change our perspective like Joshua did. Joshua saw where things were going, what they were supposed to do. Here's where we're going. This is what we got to do. And he had to change his perspective, right? We have to understand, I believe this is in your notes, we must realize that our role in government is to be active in advancing God's kingdom and his agenda. That's what it all boils down to. Everything we do, we should be involved in government. We should be involved in the process. We have that opportunity. We're in the land of the free. But our role is to be active in advancing God's kingdom and his agenda. And I know that I know that today that seems a little difficult. We look at things, we even look at our presidential candidates and such, and we think, who's going to advance God's kingdom and his agenda? Right? It's tough. It's dizzying <laughs> to look at. This is where we've got to seek God, and we've got to pray, and we've got to be in his word, and we've just got to make sure that that's our stance, that everything we do is active in advancing his kingdom and his agenda, knowing that he will have the final word. Who's in charge? God's in charge. We're his subject. We're his subjects. He loved us enough to pay a great price for us, and now um, our job is to further his kingdom. That's what it's all about at this point. Amen? Let's bow our heads. God, firstly, we thank you so much that you did look upon us with love. You called us your very own. You redeemed us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we are so, so grateful for that. We're so grateful. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're sweeping through this place. You're doing a work in hearts and lives. If you're here today and you're not 100% sure that you're a part of that heavenly kingdom, the Bible says all you've got to do is accept Jesus. We basically quit living for ourselves and we give our life to him just like he gave his life to us. Just like he gave his life for us. It's a matter of surrender. Saying, Lord, I want to be yours forever. I want you to walk with me through these difficult times in life. And when my end comes, I want you to take my hand and walk me into eternity. I want to be with you. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but you recognize that you've totally been living your life for yourself, that he's kind of been excluded, as we were talking about earlier, this is your moment. If that's you, and you would say, you know what, I need to get things right with the Lord right now. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you come up front. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and let me see. Who would say, I need to get my life right with Jesus today? I need to surrender my life 
I need to submit to him. Amen. We're going to pray together. The Bible says that if you mean that with all your heart, if you sincerely mean it, as you say these words, if you're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of life, if you become a new creation, God calls you his very own. We're going to pray together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus. I recognize that I am hopeless without him. I don't have a chance in the world. Today, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me for living my life for myself and for doing things my own way. Today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe that you came and that you died for me, but you're not in that tomb that you rose again and you sit at the right hand of the Father. I will serve you this day in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill me, lead me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I will serve you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I thank you that it's that easy to come to you and that your arms are open wide. I pray, Lord, for those who prayed that and meant it from the depths of their heart. I pray, Lord, that, they, that, that you would touch them even now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. That they would live with the desire to please you and to honor you with everything they do, every word they say, every step they take, in Jesus' name. They would truly be transformed into the image of Jesus. Lord, today... as a small representation of the body of Christ, Lord, we lift up our government in Jesus' name. Mm. I'm just reminded again as <laughs> I get the news on my watch, the president's making an address right now. God, we pray for our president. Oh, we plead for a touch of your spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, that even as he's serving the very last of this term, that you would even now surround him with godly men and women in Jesus' name, that would speak godly counsel in Jesus' name. We pray for a transforming work in his life and his wife and in his girls in Jesus' name. God, we just thank you for a work in their lives. God, we pray for godly people to step up into governing positions. We pray for the body of Christ to rise up and stand in unity and in one voice. And where there is injustice and evil and tyranny, we would say no more in Jesus' name. That we would stand for what is righteous and what is just in Jesus' name. God, that we would take advantage of the responsibilities, the freedoms that you've given us, specifically the freedom to vote, Lord, that we would seek you and we would do our best to elect men and women who are going to most further the kingdom agenda in Jesus' name. God, we pray for a move of your spirit in Congress, in the Senate, in the House of Representatives in Jesus' name. Then our city governments, our state governments in Jesus' name.
Lord, show us how we can be a voice. We choose to pick up and carry your cause. In Jesus' name. And with your help, the church will continue to be a shining beacon in this world. Hope for the hopeless. A hospital for the hurting. We thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.